Last week, uh, I started, uh, uh, it really is just, this is the second week of, of, of a two-week series that I felt on my heart because of kind of the, the buzzword of revival and, and what's going on in, in Asbury and, and uh, other locations and, and what does it look like and what does it mean? And it can look really catchy, um, but what does it mean when God brings revival somewhere? And, and, you know, we, there's a lot of places on, online that, you know, they, they sit there and argue on whether something is or isn't a revival. And, and I really wanted to bring some clarity. Last week, I talked about the fact that revival starts from within a person. It has nothing to do with a body of, of, uh, of a building. It has no, uh, nothing to do with, with a group of, of organizational aspects. It, it starts with, and, and, and this is where Asbury started, it started with the hunger, right, of, of people saying, I just, I'm hungry for more than what I'm getting fed. I'm passionately wanting more of Jesus. So last Sunday, I preached this message and I get home, they, they got home maybe a few minutes before me and I walk in, Stephanie's sitting on the chair and she goes, I think we're going to Kentucky. <laughs> okay, I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> Those are my exact words to her. Because I'm like, you're not driving to Kentucky by yourself, and I can't because i got to go to work tomorrow. So I went upstairs. I said, if, if, if those plans work out, just wake me up. I go upstairs. I, go, I didn't take a nap. I got to lay down because uh, uh, that's all I got to do. And so I'm laying there. Maybe 20 minutes pass by. She comes up to the room. We're leaving. Can you make sure my air and my tires is okay? I'm sorry, What? Who's we? Because you're not taking our two kids and driving 10 hours because that's not your thing. She goes, no, 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 no. Sky's coming with us. Lily's coming with us. Liam's coming with us. And Cole's coming with us. And we got three drivers. I'm like, okay. Bye. I wish I could go. A little jealous, but I got to go to work. Uh, and, and, and we, we posted about it on, uh, Facebook and Instagram and, and told, I told her, I said, Hey, post a few things so that people can kind of follow along. But um, I want you to hear kind of firsthand and, uh, from, from a little bit of what she saw uh, at, at there. Now, her and, and the two younger ones, Liam and Zion, they didn't get to go. They, they changed up. As soon as they got there, they changed up kind of how the services were. And so you had to be 25 and younger to pretty much get into the main service. And they were letting college-age kids go in more than everybody else. Um, but... Uh, they had three or four different uh, overflow rooms as well as they were, I, I think sometime at this point this week, they brought out big projector screens and uh, were pumping it outside as well. And so, But I want you to hear a little bit of firsthand experience of what she experienced and what they saw there. So we pulled up early. Um, the service wasn't going to be until one that afternoon. And so I told all the kids, even though we slept, only slept for like three hours, uh, I said, we have to get there at nine. Like nine is going to be the latest because I know that there's already going to be a line forming. And so there was. We pulled up and it was easy to get there. But when we got there, there was already a few hundred people in line waiting for these doors that were not going to open until one. Um, so we parked and we got over there. And it's like just quiet. It was a misty, foggy morning. Um, which those are my favorite anyway. There's, I just feel like there's just something holy about them. But um, so we came up and so the atmosphere was already so good and walked up onto the campus and uh, everyone's just waiting. And so we kind of just chat in line about where everyone is from. You know, where are you from? Where are you coming from? Who'd you bring? And um, in my sphere, which was very, it was very interesting to hear a story because in a 
situation like that, it is not usually on me to take the lead and say like, I'm bringing my kids, I'm gonna go do this without my husband. Usually it's always been a team thing because we've been in full-time ministry for so long. Um, So I'm there by myself and I'm like, I just need to get my kids in the room. I want them to experience this. And the moms that were around me were the same thing. Yeah, my husband told me he couldn't go, but I should just come. And I brought my son. I, I couldn't, my husband couldn't come, but he said, go bring your daughter. So it was like, here we are, the moms, like bringing our kiddos. And um, so the first service happens. There was a impromptu early morning service for the young, for kids, for the college kids. And so they all go in. An hour later, they came out. And then that is when the worship broke out onto the lawn. And when you walk up, uh, where the spirit has been present for so long, it's saturated. So you don't have to, you didn't have to fight to feel God's presence. You could walk up onto the grass, into the atmosphere, and you knew like there's something different here. God has already done so much here. So when the student-led worship broke out, I encouraged my kids who were a little bit standoffish. I was like, no, 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 this is why we're here. Like you go and you get your worship on. Like you go over there and you get involved in all of that. And so uh, they did, they walked over there and I wanted to get some video of it. And so um, the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit for me is like, it's so heavy and weighty that it makes me weepy. So I'll totally get emotional up here. Just bear with me. It's just how I operate. Um, when I, in that in that realm, uh, so I walked over to the circle and because I wanted a video because it was powerful, powerful worship, and they had like an acoustic guitar and one of those little drum things that you sit on, yeah, cajon, and that is like pretty much it, and just their powerful voices. And so when I walked up there, I just did. I just got weepy as I'm trying to film them worshiping and. If I knew when I went there, like God is doing, this is so significant for this generation. There is so much hurt and brokenness and the enemy has come so strong after our kids between the heights of depression and anxiety, the numbers, the statistics of how many of our kids 25 and under are on medication is staggering. So there needs to be strongholds broken. There needs to be real hope instilled. There needs to be this transformation of laying down what the enemy has continued to lie. And you just kept buying this lie and there's a savior. There's an authentic for real hope and a savior and a God that's chasing after this generation. And that is exactly what it spoke to me. I was just like, I am not gonna walk around and be hopeless like for our world. God is always gonna be faithful and create a remnant for himself. He always has, always. From the past with the Israelites all the way through up until now with the different movements that have taken place. And so when I stood there, I just wanted to be reverent of what God was doing. It wasn't about, I needed to lift my voice. It wasn't about, I just needed to sit there behind and pray a protection to pray for God's spirit to truly envelop them. And like I, I posted on Facebook, it was like being at this extravagant banquet that was not set for you though. God has set a table for this generation to come and taste and see that he is good, he's real. He's not some judgmental, you're gonna go to hell because you're not doing X, Y, and Z. 
It was his love that was overwhelming them. It was them gaining some identity and realizing who their true savior was. Just this authentic, pure worship that was taking place. Um, And then that's exactly what people were crying out about was knowing who they really were, being seen for the first time. Um, That joy that was happening, the peace that surpasses all understanding. So how good is our God that he would come in and feed our kids exactly what they need? To feel peace when you've been so ridden with anxiety. To feel seen when you feel so depressed and so overlooked. So it was incredible. And I will say that we're... Revival didn't start there because there was all these happy Christians in a room that just didn't stop singing. Revival happened there because there were repentive hearts crying out for a savior because they realized that it had nothing to do with them and there was nothing, no pill they were gonna take, no hairstyle they were gonna put on, no clothes they were gonna buy that were gonna make them feel secure in who they were. They needed and were desperate for a savior and that is why revival broke out. Because when they came in contact with that real authentic love that filled them to overflowing, they couldn't help but open their mouth and sing. So revival can happen in each one of our living rooms every single day. It just depends on how hungry are you, how desperate are you, how aware are you of your need for your savior? Because he's good. And I'm never gonna be saved long enough to not know I need a savior. Desperately, I need a savior. So that is how our trip went. And you are welcome to worship all the time, friends, all the time. You do not have to drive to Kentucky. You don't have to drive to Alabama, but it is amazing when you get there because it's something you'll never forget. Amen. How do you follow that up? <laughs> um, <laughs> so listen, um, so last week I talked about, and she hit like literally almost every point that I talked about last Sunday, and she wasn't in the room. She was doing kids. Um, that revival comes from a repentive heart. Revival comes from a remnant of people saying, I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. And so as I thought about like, how do I follow up? Because uh, me and Cole, and he's not here, he, he went on a, a, a little trip this weekend, and, uh, but me and him were talking on Thursday at Youth. And uh, matter of fact, he's gonna be sharing next Thursday at Youth, and, and I'm super excited about that. Uh, and he's gonna share his, his heart, his take, what God showed him and what God's been doing in his life through this process. Um, but one of the things that we talked about is me and him kind of have the same mindset with a lot of church movement is that how do I know it's for real, right? Um, the, the copycat mentality, not just in church, but in, in, in life in general is, you know, something gr- great happens here. Now we just, we want to emulate instead of, and I talked about this last, last week, is where instead of we ask, asking God, what do you have for me? We just go, I want what's that, what they're doing. So I'm going to emulate what they're doing, expecting the same result. And God is not a cookie cutter God. And so what he's doing in Kentucky doesn't mean that it's the same way that he's going to show his spirit in Camden, Arkansas, or Washington State or or anywhere in between. The question isn't how will he show himself, it's will we be hungry enough for him to show up and us recognize him? Because he's ever-present. That's what the word says. He's always here. 
It's just the question of if we're walking around in life with the focus of Jesus, I want your heart and I want your purpose and I want, I want to follow your will no matter what happens. Jesus' prayer in the garden. My, not my will, but yours be done, God. I got a question for you. How many times does the Bible talk about revival? Think about that for a minute. Because it's a catchy word inside the church, especially right now. Revival. It just sounds nice. Sounds fancy. I see people on, on Facebook all the time right now posting all the different places that prayer and worship is happening, and that's fantastic. I'll never knock people gathering for prayer and worship. But then, you know, we tag it, you know, oh, revival. Okay. No hate. But what is that? I started to ask God the question, God, where is it in the Bible? Because I'm a first-generation preacher. I, I, I don't have this longevity of my grandfathers ran revivals all throughout the nation and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So I always tend to ask the question to God, God, where is this in the Bible? I heard one preacher um, that somebody shared a, a Facebook video, and I'll, I'll be honest, I disagreed with what he said. Because he got up and he started talking about revival fire and talking about God's doing a new thing that we've never seen before. And I'm like, mm, no, that's not biblical. It may be a new thing for, the next, for this new generation, but it's not a new thing that nobody's ever seen before because God said that, that he, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That, that it's not like God manifests himself in, in, in unique and different ways that he's never done before. The Bible never says that. It may be new to us. It may be new to us because we've never pushed that close to him. But it's not a new thing that he's never done before. So what is it? What, where, where do we get this idea of revival, especially for the church at large? And that's what I want to kind of wrap up with this morning is what does it mean for the church to catch, quote unquote, revival? What does it mean? I'll start with Lee Robertson's quote that I started with last week, and it says this, let us return to the basic things of the word of God and prayer and soul winning and revival. Let us pray, oh God, send revival. Let it begin in me. And, and, and that is the heart of revival. It's not, oh, come and do something, God. Look flashy and, and make it a big crowd and make it a big thing. It's God, let us return to the things we know to do, which is to get close to you to pray, to, to seek your word and your wisdom. Let us to seek your presence and your spirit. I said this last week, I'll, I'll, I'll read it again for you. Uh, the definition of revival. Revival literally means renewed attention to or interest in something. An instance of something becoming popular, active, or important again. It once was, it died off, and now it's coming back. That's what revival is. That something died. Something, something went away. Something is no longer uh, in, the, in the forefront, and it really needed to be, and so it got revived. I was sitting, laying in bed last night, just going over my message one more time. God gave me a couple extra thoughts, and one of them was this. He gave me this thought and this beautiful picture that revival is not an upper room moment in the book of Acts. And that's what we think of when we think of revival. We think of the, the, the disciples, 120 people sitting in the room praying, God, show up. 
God, show up. God, we want you. We're hungry. We're thirst for you. And, 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 we, and they're sitting in the upper room. But here's the thing. They weren't dead. Their spirit was alive. It was, it was in expectation. The, the revival is not an upper room experience like in the book of Acts. That was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we need to know the difference between the two. Because the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is when alive Christians are saying, take us closer, Jesus. And revival means that something was dead and needs to come back to life. I hope I didn't confuse you. If I did, I apologize. But, but I want you to see the difference. So what we, what we envision as revival is really uh, the difference of, are we asking for God to uh, uh, make things alive again? Or are we asking that we are alive, now take us deeper? And when we understand the two, we understand how we can press in more. Because if we need, if we need to go from death to life, if we have allowed ourselves to, to, to just succumb to the, the, the struggles of this world and the sin in our life and, and all of these things, then yes, you need to ask God, hey, revive me, Father. Revive me. I'm, I'm dying inside. I'm dead. And I need your spirit to come and to quicken me and make me alive again in your presence. But sometimes it's that we are already alive and we're hungry and God is saying, I want to take you to that next level. Now go and be patiently waiting for my presence and my spirit. That was the promise given to every believer who asked for it and is seeking the presence of the living God, that the Holy Spirit would fill your life. There was nothing to revive on the day of Pentecost. Nothing was dead. They were simply growing in their faith walk. Now, here's the crazy part. They were alive in the room. The revival happened outside. You follow the books of, book of Acts in, in chapter 2, and it, and, and it says that the Holy Spirit came in like a, like a, like a mighty wind, and, and they had flaming tongues, and let's not lose you on that, because I know that's kind of weird. Um, but but that, this, is, this is the picture that, that Jesus is, or, or that, that uh, Luke is describing when he writes it. And they were all speaking in different tongues. Side note, actual languages. Actual languages. It wasn't some made-up language, okay? This wasn't what we would call, some people would call their prayer language or whatever. These were actual languages that they spoke. Why? Here's the important part. If you follow it, they're all starting to literally speak the gospel in other languages. And they're so loud that everybody outside starts hearing them. No, this is Pentecost. So all of these Jewish people from all over the world had ascended to, to this area in Jerusalem, spoke different languages, came from different places. And they can understand. They're like, wait a minute. Aren't those... Gentiles, aren't those Jewish guys? Aren't, 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 they don't come from our land. They're, they're not our people. How are they speaking our language? They must be drunk. Now, listen, you think I'm joking. That's what the Bible says. They literally thought they were drunk. I, I've never been around a drunk guy that learned a different language. Like, they may talk, talk gibberish. They may speak in a prayer language, but they aren't learning a real language when they're drunk. And I've never, I've never been in the presence of a drunk person. They're speaking English, and all of a sudden they're like, habla espanol. <laughs> what? So the fact that that was their thought, I'm like, what? And then Peter gets up, and he preaches the very first gospel presentation message. And it says that over 5,000 men got saved that day. You know what that means is that there was probably somewhere between 10 and 12,000 people that came to Christ in that one moment. The revival didn't happen inside. The outpouring happened inside. The revival happened outside. 
That's the message this morning. The revival isn't what God is doing in the room most of the time. But we like what he does in the room, forgetting there's a purpose to the outpouring because the revival really happens out there. The revival happens when dead people need to come alive. If you're close to Jesus, you don't need a revival. You need an outpouring that gets you closer to him. Now, if you're sitting in the room and you feel like you're dead and dying and your spirit is not alive, you need a reviving of your spirit. The majority of time, what we would call revival is really the act of a believer's life living out the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and drawing other people to him. I love Ephesians 5, 14. It says this, for the light makes everything visible. That is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead and Christ will give you light. I have a couple of thoughts this morning, and I'm going to get through them as quick as possible because um, I wanted Stephanie to share. That, to me, that was far more important than whether or not I get every little thought I need out. My first thought is this. Revival is about making dead things alive. Revival is about making dead things alive. So, so there's, there's this caveat. I believe that there are times in our life where we need God to personally revive our spirit. We've walked through it. We're going through a hard time. We don't feel his presence. We don't feel close to God. We, we, don't, we don't feel like we're connecting to really anything. Or maybe we have purposely walked away from him. Maybe we purposely, and because here's the thing, is that typically God doesn't walk away from us. Matter of fact, I'll say this. God never walks away from us. We walk away from him. And it's not normally intentional like, I would say, it, most of the time it's not intentional. It's, it's not like I go to church, I'm, I'm worshiping one moment, then I walk outside and I just, you know, decide I'm going to go get plastered drunk and just walk away from God. It's normally not how it happens. It's normally little things of, of, of ease. It's, it's easy to do this. And then ease turns into allowing other things into our life that shouldn't be there. And so we start to slow fade our walk away. And we, we, how many times in our life have we go, how did I get here? How did I allow myself to trickle? Because we, we, we said, oh, you know, one isn't bad. Or, you know what, it's, it's, you know, it's not that bad if I say this or don't say that. It's, it's not, you know, uh, evangelism isn't my thing. So. And we just slow fade away from God. The reality is, is that sometimes we need a revival of our life. It's not another camp meeting, a church service that gets hyped and emotionally connected to God, although those are great. I believe very much so in the move of God and, and being connected through worship and prayer gatherings and, and emotionally connected to Jesus. I do. I will never, ever, ever deny that. But I think that we've got to stop planting our flag on those moments thinking that that's the most important part because it's not. Those are exciting uh, moments. I, I love every camp that we've ever gone to, and we've gone to a bajillion of them. I've led so many. I've preached at so many. I've been in the room where the, the presence of God is so thick that you're like, how do we leave this place? What do we do with this moment? But that is not where God wants us to camp. 
To be revived is to literally bring back to life. And so in those moments where God speaks life into us, where maybe you've walked through it, and I've told you about that season in my life when I was 19, and I went through three or four months where I went through the same motions because I knew that I knew that I knew that I had to do these things. I knew that I wasn't going to walk away from God. I stayed in his word. I prayed even though I felt like I was talking to the walls. Because I knew at some point the breaking ground had to be there. At some point, God was going to bust through and he was going to say, hey, thanks for being faithful, even though you didn't feel it. Hey, thanks for, for being patient with me, even though it didn't seem like I was ever present. Thank you for fighting through those moments. Revivals making dead things come alive. It is the Lazarus come forth moments in our life. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. But you know when the revival really happened with Lazarus is when he started to take his grave clothes off and the world started to see how good God was. I've read this scripture before, but I was drawn to it this week in Ezekiel 37, 4 through 14. It says this, then he said to me, this is God speaking to Ezekiel in a prophecy. And he says, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and I will make you live what? Again. I will revive you. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and I will, uh, you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke the message just as he told me. And suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves in complete, as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. The skins formed over their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, oh, breathe from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. They were once living and they died. Now we're asking God, breathe into them again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet. A great army. Not, not a sad, lowly, beat down group of people, but a great army army came from the dead bones. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying we have become old dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Ooh, that sounds familiar. Therefore prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I will open up your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, oh, my people, you will know that I am Lord. I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and return home to your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done what I've said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. How many times in that little set of scripture did God say again, at least four? At least four times he spoke to the dead bones, the dry, hurting, broken parts of our life to say what was once whole, what was once healthy that you have allowed or, or circumstances have allowed for, for hurt and pain to come in. I'm going to breathe my life into him. But here's the problem is that we are waiting for God to do that. And he's telling us you got to speak life into those circumstances. What did he tell Ezekiel? Speak to the dry bones. We, we just, we just, God, you know what? I'm so broken. I'm hurting God. And God wants to hear those. God wants to hear the, that, those, those moments in our life. He wants to have those real conversations with us. 
There's got to come a breaking point in our life where we stop just allowing the circumstances and the emotions and the pain and the hurt and the past to have control over us, to have title over us, to allow us to, to just sit in that mess and go, I'm just a broken person. And God's going, if you would only speak, dry bones come alive. If you would only speak, instead of speaking death and destruction into your life, maybe, just maybe you need to pick up the word of God and start to speak Ezekiel 37 over it. Dry bones, I'm telling you, the Spirit of God lives inside of you, and I'm asking God for you to be pulled into those dry bones so that they can come alive again. The devil wants you to have a pity party, and God wants to pour his presence into you. Many people have said this, so I'm not going to quote it as a, a one person, but I love this saying, Jesus did not come into this world to make bad men good. He came to the world to make dead men alive. If we're trying to just change people's actions, then we have missed the whole purpose of revival. We want to make them good people. No, we don't. We want to make them alive. We, we want to breathe God's spirit into them. Amen. Listen, he's all for it. He's ready. He's the next preacher. We, we have got to start realizing that the goal of Christianity is not to make you look good. It's to make you alive. Because listen, being good will only change your actions for so long. If an alcoholic doesn't have a, a change, a real change process, they will always go back to the thing that they are most comfortable to. Somebody who has food issues will go back to the thing that they struggle with. People that have body image issues will always go back to the things that they feel comfortable in because it's what brings them comfort, unless something comes alive in them. I'm not, I'm not looking to make you feel good. I'm not trying to make you into anything cookie-cutter Christianity. I'm literally trying to speak the word of God into you so that you realize that the hurt that you feel is the enemy trying to keep you back and hold you back. And really what you need is not to become good. It's that you need to come alive. I'm not trying to draw you to church. I'm trying to draw you to Jesus. So a revival Makes dead people alive. The, the second thought I had is this. Revival awakens the sleeping church. It awakens the sleeping church. Oh, we've been lulled to sleep. I like Sundays. They're so cute. They're packaged well. Well, some churches. And then we have like dummy on the drums that can't even remember how to play. How do we play this song? Thank you, worship team, for just being with me and helping me out with that. We, 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 we package it in a way that, that it makes you feel comfortable, but we don't ever challenge you to wake up. I hope one thing that we do well here is that I will always bring the word of God even if, uh, even if it doesn't make you feel comfortable. Matter of fact, my, my hope is that you love me enough to realize that the word of God isn't supposed to make you feel comfortable. It is to change your very nature of who you are, not your personality, but your spirit. Ephesians said it, right? Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead and Christ will give you light. Our prayer isn't, God, make me a good person. It's, God, awaken my spirit to your ways. Awaken my spirit to your will. 
You have put in me, every single last one of you, every single last one of you, have a purpose in life. I didn't create you and go, I forgot to give them a purpose. Oh, crap. How many of you ever seen Santa Claus 2? Right? When, when Tim Allen has to go back uh, to Earth, to, Earth to, to America, to his boy, and what does he do? He creates a, a, a toy Santa Claus. He looks like him. He, well, he kind of moves like him. But see, he wasn't, he, he wasn't all there. He was just a toy. And so he, he, he could function a little bit like him. He moved in, in, in a certain way. But see, there was no real life in him. And so many times as the church, we think that Christianity looks a certain way. And so we try to fit into that box. And we're just, we're, okay, so this is how prayer looks. Or, or you know, somebody just, it, it, give me the right words to say. And, you know, we go, oh, well, I can't pray because I'm not good with words. Hello. God usually picks the weirdest people to stand up with a microphone that normally are not all that great with words. <laughs> Moses tried to get out of preaching, out of a whole leading. Like, listen, God, I got a stuttering issue. He goes, okay, fine, I'll send Aaron with you. And when you can't speak, he will. It's, it's not about you. The problem is, is that we hold ourselves back from the purposes and the plan of God because we try to tell God why we're not good enough. And he goes, well, no, duh. It's never about you. It was about you just being willing. It's about you being submissive to the, the will of God and the word of God and to the purposes of God so that I can use you even in your flaws and even in your mistakes and even in the, in the areas where you're not all you know, together. I'm going to use you there. And the enemy wants us to stay quiet and the enemy wants us to live uh, uh, just a, a quiet, gentle Go to your church, do your thing, praise your God life. Please don't leave that building and make a difference. Ephesians says, awake, O sleeper, that you may carry the light of God with you where you go. The enemy's biggest tool is not sin, but complacency. The act of being satisfied and not striving to be all that God has called you to be. To live as there is no enemy so that you get lulled to spiritual sleep. I mean, we all can say, sit here and say, oh, yeah, I believe in the devil. But we have this picture of this pointy-eared guy that, you know, pitchforks. And the Bible says he actually is very, he, he's the, he, he is light-likeness. He's a fake, he's a fake goodness. Why do you think every sin feels good for a moment? Think about that. Because if sin tasted like poop, you wouldn't eat it. You would I mean, let me put, I believe <laughs> that those sitting in this room today, if offered a steak or offered poop, you would choose the steak. I'm just, I believe that my people <laughs> are smarter than that. But spiritually, so many times God says, I have this goodness for you. I, I have, I have this, this, this amazing, satisfying word for you. We go, no, God, it's too much for me to take right now. It's too much for me to, to take in. And so I'd, I'd rather take the easy cake flavored poop. Because that's what sin is. It feels good for a moment. As the Bible says it, sin is fleeting. 
It does just enough to get you sucked in, and then you've got to try to fight your way out. And I don't care what kind of sin that is. Sexual sin, alcoholics, drug addicts, uh, food, um, popularity, vision, you know, uh, personal uh, viewment of ourselves, uh, arrogance, pride, gossiping, hatred, anger, all of that. It draws you in. Listen, people that are angry, typically they, they don't like to be angry, but it's become who they are. And so they know I can get what I want if I'm angry enough because people will do what I want them to do. You think they feel satisfied there? No, eventually they start to hate themselves. Sin feels good for a moment, but it leads to death, and you start to taste that death the more you do it, but you don't know how to get out. And the only way to get out is to awaken your spirit to a a, a real living Jesus. Is it easy? Absolutely not. Is it rewarding? The most amazing reward that you could ever have. See, when we get lulled to sleep, we become like Samson. Samson was the greatest warrior as long as he didn't cut his hair. And then what happened? A beautiful girl. I feel like most guys, like their story can either be elevated by a beautiful girl or it ends with a beautiful girl, you know? And, and Samson, he had, his, he had his beautiful girl. Now, here's the thing. That girl, I really believe that she was not supposed to be with Samson, but he, that's who he wanted. He wanted his pretty girl. And so God said, okay, here you go. But see, she knew there's something special about him. I got to find out. And his enemies wanted to find out. And so they used her beauty to lull him to sleep. And finally, eventually, she tells him, it's my hair. I'm Fabio. Cut it and I die. <laughs> and what happens? Samson's hair gets cut and his strength leaves his body and they capture him. How many times in our life we get lulled to sleep and the enemy knows, you know what? I mean, listen, I, I tell people all the time, God is not going to, like the enemy is not going to show up in my life with, uh, you know, with a bottle of, you know, uh, moonshine and some, some drugs and go, <laughs> have at it. Cause I just, okay, whatever. Oh, but I've got sin. I've got things that the enemy can, can, can try to lure, lure me in with. Everybody does. And one is not greater or worse than the other. We all have it. The the challenge is not to be lulled to sleep like Samson or David with Bathsheba and go, okay, I'm pretty strong. I can handle this one temptation. Before you know it, you're so far from God. We slow fade our faith into a spiritual low, allowing the enemy to speak lies and doubt and sin into our lives. And the Bible says it's time to awaken church so that revival can happen. It doesn't happen in here. Holy Spirit, outpour yourself into our midst so that we can go see revival happen. I heard a preacher say this this week. I loved it, so I wrote it down. Revival is not a gift to the church. Now, this may fly in the face of everything you've ever heard about revival. Send your letters to somebody else. I'm sorry. Revival is not a gift to the church for being faithful but a sounding of the alarm to wake up. Think about it. How many times, and, and I hate to knock on, on, on Sunday morning or uh, Southern church doors, but, you know, oh, we're having a revival meeting. You got to come. We're having a revival this week. What, what does that mean? And I'm not hating on any church, so please don't think that I'm like, you know, bashing any church, but we've all been there. We've all heard the invite. And then we go and we're like, this is just like Sunday morning. You lied to me. 
You lied to me, church. You said revival was going to happen. You just brought a different speaker in and called it something. You lied. Why? You know how many times me and Stephanie have heard this since we've moved here from young people? Church has hurt me. It's lied to me. So though I might love God, I don't trust the church. Because instead of giving them something real and authentic, we try to make it look pretty and we try to make it look fantastic because they look on TikTok and Instagram and they, and they go, well, that's a really cool church. That's exciting. There's a lot of young people there. And then we try to emulate it like we can present something about God in a pretty little package. And listen, if, if we really want them to show up, we have to start showing the authentic. <laughs> we want revival to happen. We need to stop calling it revival because we're lying to people. And they get here and they go, well, this is like every other church service I've ever been to. There's some worship, there's a guy speaking, and then y'all leave. What, what just happened? The missing piece isn't what we can do, it's what God can do. I don't want, listen, I don't ever, <laughs> ooh, Jesus, I'm going to say something and it's going to sound very, very bad. I don't want revival to break out Freedom Church. I want revival to come from Freedom Church. I want the outpouring to happen inside. I, I don't want us to have to talk about it. I want people to go, I heard there's something happening. Sky, you're different. You, you, you talk different. You, you, you act a little different. Yeah, you're not perfect. Junior may disagree with me, but that's okay. He should. John, you, you know, you're still the same guy, but you're not the same guy. Yeah, you know, God's doing something in me. He's truly making my spirit come alive, and it's making me walk away from the things that I thought I needed. And you know what? You don't have to, you don't have to proclaim it because people will see it. My last point is this. True revival changes how we interact with the world. The coming together was always for a purpose outside the four walls. So when I started the, 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 the sermon this morning, I asked the question, how many times does it talk about revival in the Bible? Zero. That word you cannot find unless you're... Oh, let me restate that. If you search hard enough with many different translations of the Bible, you will find the word revival in at least one of them. I searched like 10 different translations. I found it one time in the book of Psalms in the Passion Translation. And it's literally just like a skip over. It says, you create ruins and revivals. That's it. <laughs> but I had to search for the word in, in many different translations. The reality is that the word revival is not in the Bible, but the action of revival is. When God would call his people together and an outpouring of his presence would happen, there was always something that changed in them to change the outside world. The revival was never meant to be in the building. It was always a product of what happened in the building the outside world. That's revival. It's, it's when you're in Southern and uh, Southern Pipe and somebody comes up and they're like, I've had a bad day. And that natural instinct to go, just shut up and let them pay for their thing. <laughs> God's going, pray for them. And you're like, shut up, no, no. Listen, 
I know how these things go. If y'all don't think like I'm normal, it happens all the time. Me and Cole had this conversation uh, because when he told me that he wanted to speak on Thursday, I could see the fight happening in his head. It was like two Coles going at it. And he would look at me and he'd look at me again. And finally, it was just like he had to get it out. Like, I want to speak next Thursday. <laughs> and he said it afterwards. He said, I knew that if I could just get the words out of my mouth, I would be okay with it. But it was getting the words out of his mouth because once he said he couldn't take it back. And I'm telling y'all, that little spirit inside of you that's, that's waiting for you to say, just open your mouth and let my joy come out. Let my word, you don't have to be perfect. Well, but if I pray for them and then they see like I make a mistake, they're gonna be like, oh, you're one of those Christians. Yeah, I'm one of those Christians that has brokenness and hurt in my life that I'm allowing God to heal. And so I'm not perfect, but I'm gonna pray for you. That's revival, people. It's not pretty little church. It's messy Christianity that loves Jesus and is living it out everywhere they go, even when they're not perfect. The gathering inward was always to encourage the reaching of the lost outward. My last scripture is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. A very common one that we use in church for calling out. But it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, see, now listen, you have to understand when you read those things right there, before we even get to the rest of it, I want you to understand something. He sets the plot up. He says, I, Jesus, have been given authority over everywhere, heaven and earth. I'm the man. Not in an arrogant, prideful way. He's just setting it up. I'm the man. If I'm the man and you're part of me, if you're part of my, my group, if you're part of the following of God's way, then who, who, who can really speak negatively against you and make, it, uh, make an impact in your life? If you are following me, if I am your purpose, if I am your, your, your shelter, if I am your, your, your purpose and value in life, then what does it really matter what anybody else has to say? Because I have all authority over heaven and earth. Your eternity is wrapped up in me. Therefore, when you catch that in me, when you catch that the same authority that is in me lives in you, because that's what Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is saying, because of who I am, when you live that out, you will make a difference. This was right after the disciples went back to fishing, by the way. This is right after he went to the cross, died for our sins, resurrected, and the disciples are like, well, that was a really good three-year roll. He comes back to them and he says, let me refocus you because you are my people and I'm entrusting all of this for you to start a fire on the world. He says, because of who I am, go and tell the world. Not because of who you are. Matt's a mess. Oh, okay. Matt's not sharing his gospel. He's sharing the gospel of Matthew, which is the gospel of Jesus. I say that five times fast. It's dependent upon Matt. He's going to mess it up. It's dependent upon Stephen to, to go and, 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 and live a good life so that people would follow him. He's going to mess it up. When he says, I'm going to live close to Jesus, in my good moments and in my bad moments. I'm going to point people to the gospel of Christ 
because that's the power that has salvation in it. Not the, not the, the power of Stephen's life, not the power of Stephen's gospel. It's the gospel of Christ that is within me. And so even on my bad days, I can speak of his joy. Even on my bad days, I can live out his love and I can point people to the cross and say, even though you have bad days, I'm for the one. So you were all the one at one point. You were the one that he left everybody else for. If you were the only person ever to get saved in the whole entire world, he would have went to the cross for you. Think about that. If you were the only one that accepted him as your Lord and Savior, out of the billions of people that lived on this earth, he would have still gone to the cross for you and you alone. How do you know that? I, listen, because that's what his word says. He left the 99. A good shepherd leaves all that are healthy and whole to go find those that are broken. That is revival. We need to take what God does in these moments and we need to go change the world. It comes from prayer gatherings and worshipful moments, truth being taught, alone time with Jesus. Like Stephanie said, it can literally happen in your living room in your car, while you're laying in your, in your bed getting ready for the night and reading a devotion, God could literally speak over you and go and change your whole world. Comes in fellowship times with like-minded believers, studying God's word. It is, those, it, is, it is those scriptures that say, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, so I'll live it to the world. It is the, the scripture in Acts that says, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. I can't, listen, that's, that's, my, that's my heart. You want to know my heart for Camden? It's when people start going, oh Lord Jesus, here comes those Christians. Because everybody knows those Christians. I want to flip the script and be like, oh, here comes them. Those ones that actually move in power. And they're not weird. Because, you know, we typically say, well, if a Christian has power, it's got to be weird. And I just want people to realize that you can move in your everyday life. And when God says pray, you pray. And when God says to speak, you speak. And when God says cut this out, you cut it out. It's just like I'm going to be obedient to God. And when obedience happens, his power moves with it. I'm going to end with this quote from Leonard Ravenhill. It says this, you never have to advertise a fire. Everyone comes running when there's a fire. Think about it. Unless you live out in the middle of nowhere, which by, by, if you do, good for you. But for the rest of us that have neighbors, if your neighbor's house is on fire, they don't have to run to your house and go, my house is on fire. You're like, hey, your, your house is on It's on fire. You know. Flames and smoke are a good indication that something is on fire. You don't have to advertise a fire. Everyone comes running when there's a fire. Likewise, if your church is on fire, you will not have to advertise it. The community will already know it. See, the problem is, is that we are trying to pass out flyers of fake fire. Sorry. I know that hurts a little. But the reality is, is that's what, that's what, that's what we're doing. I want, I want this room to be filled. I want every church to be filled. But I want people to find the authentic, real heart of God. Above this room being filled, listen, if we filled every church because of you guys living for Jesus, but they just went to another church, we win. 
is not about our name. Like it's not Freedom Church. Like Freedom Church could die, and if and 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 if and if the Spirit of God is moving in us, and we all went to a thousand different churches, and we made those churches come alive, we win. When we carry around the gang sign of FC, like it's something to you know, like we're repping. You know, listen, I want you to rep our church, but we're, we're repping Jesus. Like, I love our church. I love our people. I want you to wear the t-shirts, buy the hats. I want you to, to, to have the stinking stickers on. I want you to rep Freedom Church. Why? Not because it's our name, because it's God's will. I'm, see, I'm seeking Jesus. And the day that our church stops doing that, rip it all off and burn it in a fire. That's the way I feel. Because it's not about our church It's just that I know what God has called me to, my wife to, our leadership team to, this church to, and that's to reach people that are down. Look, look around. We don't have the pretty little perfect church that has 5,000 people and and they're all businessmen and we all dress in suit and ties. I've been called all sorts of things because I preach in jeans and tennis shoes and I'm okay with that because you know what? If it causes the one to come into here because they've been so tired of hurt and being burnt by the church that they're willing to give one more church a try and it's us and they look around and go, these look like my people. And amen. amen. Now listen, if the dress nice person comes into our church, I want them to look around and go, these, these are my people. Because it's not what we look like, it's the spirit that we move in. They walk in, like Stephanie said, they walk into the place and they feel a presence that they've been longing for and they don't even know how to articulate it. Oh, you go here? You know how many times I've heard somebody say, so-and-so goes to your church. I would have never thought. I know Jesus left the 99 to get the one. And even though they were hurt and, and burnt out and, and the church has abused them, Jesus still chased after them. Found a place where, and we're not the listen. We're not the only church that doesn't have judgment. We're not the only church that that is doing it right. There are really good churches here in Camden, and I know what we do. I know the spirit that we operate in, Anna. You can come up. I'm not looking to find something church folks want to come to. I'm not. There's enough churches that if church folk just want church folk stuff, they can go find it. Our heart, mine and Stephanie's heart, and it's just to chase the authentic. It's to say, God, wherever you move, we'll move. However you want to move, we'll go there. We're not going to make it something that it's not. We're not going to try to make it something that, that, that we want. God, help us to constantly be focused on the purpose. And the purpose is this, helping people find the true healing in Jesus, the true wholeness in Jesus, to find discipleship that, that is dirty and messy because you know what? You have to walk with people through their struggles and their addictions and their hurts and their pains and, and all the things that people have collected throughout the years that they've stuffed down because they're afraid that if they let it out, that nobody would want to be around them. All of a sudden, they come to find people that are going, share your hurt with us. Because we don't have to carry it. I don't have to carry your hurt. I don't have to carry your pain. I don't have to carry your struggles. I know a God that will, and I'm just going to walk you through it so that you can turn around and walk somebody else through it. 
go after the one. I want to chase the authentic. I, I wrote this down right before I went to bed. I wrote this down last night. I wrote down, I don't want Holy Ghost goosebumps. I just want Holy Ghost life change. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I don't care if you ever come up to me and say, oh, pastor, that was a good message. A good message is a life change. It's not a, not whether or not you enjoyed it. The product of a good message will be your life. 74% of what I say today, you will forget, statistically speaking. But if you can get one thing, if one thing sticks out, and draws you closer to Jesus so that you can draw somebody else closer, we win. I don't want people leaving here just going, oh, I, I felt good today. I want it to last through your Wednesday and your Friday. When you're having the worst week of your life, you can go back and say, you know what? I know a Jesus that is real and authentic and on my worst days, he's still the best God. And I'm just gonna sit with him. And he wants to hear it. He wants to hear your struggles. He wants you to him your bad days and but he doesn't want you to sit there he wants you to come alive he wants to outpour his spirit so that you can go and change people out there can we pray today my prayer is this is that through this message that you realize that revival means that something died and maybe you're sitting there and you're saying I have some dead things in my life my spirit's dead my going through the motions. You, you've described me to a T. And Pastor, I want, I, I, want God's, I want God's spirit to come alive in me. And, 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 and listen, there's no magic in the prayer. There's just purpose in the prayer and power in the prayer when you allow it to hit your life and then to produce actions that change it. Maybe you're sitting there and you're going, I need to be alive again. I need revival in my spirit. If that's you, nobody's looking around. I just want to pray for you. If that's you, just raise your hand. I just want to pray for you this morning. Amen. Amen. God saw those hands. God sees those hands. Amen. God, I pray right now for those that raise their hand because their spirit is hurting, their spirit is dying, it's struggling inside, and they are doing everything they can to hold on. Or maybe they don't know what to do, and that has been the problem. And so, God, I pray your spirit over them right now. That, God, that you would awaken their spirit. Oh, oh awaken, oh, sleeper, to the very presence and spirit of God that you would not allow the lies and the hurt and the pain of the enemy to keep you weighed down, to keep you entitled to that pain, but that you would allow the Holy Spirit to start to move through your life, that the Word of God would be the thing that you run to and not other things, that you would allow worship music and, and His presence and prayer to be the thing that anchors your soul and, and not allow other people to speak lie, or speak death into you. Oh, sleeper, come awake that the light of Christ may be in you. And it's not, it can be, it can be right now. God, feel their spirit, feel their heart, feel their life. Some of us, it's a, it's, a, it's a longer process of discipleship, but God, you can do it right now, right here, in a moment's notice, a miracle changing, breathe joy and life and purpose back into us. And sometimes it's a process of following you through and feeling wholeness through that. Oh, Jesus, you 
you would be the thing that they hold on to. You would be the thing that they draw their life to. God, for the rest of us, I pray that you would bring an outpouring of your Holy Spirit to our lives. The Bible says we have not because we ask not, and a lot of times we never ask Holy Spirit for you to fill our lives. We just, just want just enough God that we get through Sunday. In the book of Acts, Peter and Paul and Luke, and they would walk around and they would literally say, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And people would say no, and they would say, okay, let's ask for that right now. And they would just pray, Holy Spirit, come and, and be in their lives. Maybe you've never prayed that prayer. Maybe you've never invited the Holy Spirit into your life. It's not, it's not a weird moment, okay? I promise you this. Maybe you've never said those words. Holy Spirit, come and baptize my life. If that's you in this room and you've never said that prayer, but you want the Holy Spirit to guide and lead you to be the informative life change Every day when you wake up that the Holy Spirit comes and fills your day ready to take on the world. If that's you, you've never said that. The Holy Spirit, I want you to fill my life. If that's you, just I want you to raise your hand. It's, it's real simple. The Bible is not confusing. If you want the Holy Spirit, it says, hey, ask for it. If you want the Holy Spirit this morning to be baptized into your life, raise your hand. I just want to know. Amen. So many times we make this a weird thing, and it's real simple. We just pray, Holy Spirit, fill their lives. Help us to hear your voice, God, through the Holy Spirit. Your word says that you sent a helper for us. The helper is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us, ready to move and act on our behalf for the purposes of the will of God. Holy Spirit, guide and lead us every day. Give us your gift not so that we can do something special, but so that we can draw revival to the world around us. That we can share your love and your light and your purpose.